Warning. The podcast you are about to experience may contain content that isn't suitable for younger audiences. So, if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Well, we've warned you. Welcome to Villainology, a podcast revolving around our favorite personifications of humanity's darker side, and what truly makes them the scourge of their respective worlds. I am your host, Rob Mobley, and holy hell, welcome to episode 5, everybody. (laughs) It's hard to believe that we are well over a month into this podcast, and for those of you that have stuck around, you are amazing, and for those of you that are new... Buckle up, because the basic idea here is that I present each guest an opportunity to discuss at length someone who is widely considered to be a villain, and to offer their own personal insight as to why they find them so intriguing. Now, these opinions are totally subjective, and I find that hearing the thoughts of other people on someone you either love to hate or hate to love helps to better understand these characters as a whole. Our guest today is one of the most brilliant people I've ever had the pleasure of working with. When we first met when we were a part of the opening entertainment team for Diagon Alley at Universal Orlando, and we have traded nerdy banter and hypotheticals <laughs> ever since. Uh, she's an actress, a singer, and a certified badass, Megan Maroney. Welcome to the show. I, I don't know where the certificate came from, but uh, as soon as I find it, I'm going to frame the certificate of badassery and put it <laughs> somewhere in my house for people to find. Uh, I am super excited to be a part of this. I loved this idea from the moment you announced that this podcast existed. So this is fantastic. It's the best that you are on this right now. But you know, <laughs> now normally at this point, I would ask you a bunch of questions about you know what's going on in your life, what's happening with you. But I know that the subject you've brought us tonight has a lot of ground to cover. So with your permission, I'm going to skip the pleasantries and just dive in to this show's favorite question. Tell us, Megan Maroney, which villain have you chosen? I have chosen one of the most misunderstood individuals ever to walk the planet, and certainly ever to walk uh, the steppes of Russia. And that would be the Mad Monk himself. So this is the first time we have discussed a real historical figure on the show. That is exciting. It is. It is. Up to this point, it's been all fictional characters. So with that in mind, why Rasputin? Well, I think it actually starts with a bit of uh, fictionalization. Most of what anyone knows and would swear by as far as Rasputin is concerned is because of how he has been portrayed 
in fictional representations of him. So just to use the the animated feature Anastasia, for example, uh, he is the primary villain in that, and that is most people's perception of him. And that is as fictionalized as Scar would be, or as Frollo is. It has only the barest tangential remnants to the actual person. So what I am going to do is I'm actually going to flip the script a little bit and take that to you and say, what do you, Rob Mobley, know or think you know about Rasputin? What are the things you've heard? Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I know the Grigori Rasputin. He had almost like this twisted Cinderella story. I know that he from what I understand, was a, a pauper. He, w- he was very lower class for the longest time. And somehow his status was elevated and he caught the ear of the, the wife of the czar. Mm-hmm. Uh, their, I, th- I guess their son was ill or sick. Mm-hmm. And they had heard that he, you know, he, he would preach the Bible and, and he, would, he had such a way of speaking it that people used to think that he might have had some sort of gift, whether it be some kind of supernatural power or something, and that was enough to catch her ear, even if there were other rumors of his more salacious activities. <laughs> sure, from what I understand, but it was enough to where you know, yeah, he ended up. I, the rumor has it that he ended up sleeping with her, and like they developed this whole affair. But she did it because she believed that he was the key to curing her son, mm-hmm. and eventually it got to the point where you know he he built up such a, a reputation with the rest of the country that it got to mm-hmm. the point where the other members of, of the higher class, they were starting to feel really intimidated by this and, and really kind of, we need to get rid of this guy right. to the point where they, 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 they tried to kill him so many different ways. I think they, they tried to poison him at one point. They, I think the, I think they said, I think the final way he died was that he was shot, like five times or something like that, and that, I think that was what finally did him in. But yeah, it was this whole idea of just this guy that came from nowhere, right? That was just shrouded in myth and legend, just in the years he was alive, right? Um, I mean, that's what I know about him now. Whether that's... that is is close to the truth as possible, I'm not sure. That's a super good framework for the for the actual house. That is what most people know. And there is accuracy in that, and there is a lot of inaccuracy in that. We love to see it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you are correct. He is a man who came from nothing. He is born in a very poor town in Siberia in 1869. His dad was sort of a clergyman, but not really official. He was more of a laborer. Rasputin is completely illiterate up until early adulthood. When he's 18, he walks 20 miles, finds a peasant girl, marries her, has seven kids, four of them die, three of them survive. A lot of people don't even know that he was ever married. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. At 18, he's just a guy. He is a Russian peasant. Um, But his dad has the clergy. And somewhere in 1897, so he's 28 years old. He's already been married for 10 years. He's got kids. Somewhere then, he has a vision, an emotional breakdown, a religious awakening, and all of a sudden he goes off on a pilgrimage. He is gone. And during that time, whenever he is gone, and he has his own accounts of 
where he went, but he comes under the, I'm going to say spell, but it's not that dramatic, under the mentorship of another holy man. And when Rasputin comes back from this, he is completely different. His hair is unkempt. He's got that wild look in his eye that everybody talks about. He has had a religious conversion or a mental breakdown. <laughs> and oh, he God. is so he's different from when he comes back from that. Still a, a good dad uh, by all accounts, probably not the best husband, but not an abusive one. There's no there's no any indication that he is a bad family man. He just walks in back and through the door. Uh, you know, hey, Dad's home. Dad's a lot more fun uh, lately. I don't understand Dad, why. Dad is super he, weird now. He, he's giving me weird eyes all day. I don't get it. <laughs> so another thing to actually uh, tangentially jump back on, there is a, a big rumor, and it's very hard to track down, that the name Rasputin actually means debauched one in Russian. Oh, and so that, it might not even be his real name? And that is the rumor, again, going back to possible propaganda, that it is an indication from much later in his life that people were like, he was a horse thief, he was a rapist, he was always getting into trouble with the law when he was young, and the people in his village called him Rasputin, which may be true, but there's no historical evidence to indicate he had a lot of problems with the law. And Rasputin can also mean... Between Two Rivers, which is the village that he grew up in. And so, again, it may be his real, actual name. Huh. So this is just the first indication of how everything around him kind of gets twisted. Now, starting in, this guy is not a great guy. <laughs> but he's just... But he's a guy. He's a guy. So, on his pilgrimages... He ends up going to St. Petersburg or Petrograd in 1905 and is introduced to the Tsar because much like you said, he has a very hypnotic air about him. He uh, apparently was rumored that he could make his pupils dilate at will. So people found him incredibly focused and hypnotic. And when you look at any of his pictures, you're like, holy shit, that is yeah. creepy. Um, so he was very charismatic, an unremarkable looking man, but incredibly, <laughs> incredibly charismatic. So because of this and because of his religious fervor, he meets the Tsar in 1904 and 1905. And a year later, like nothing comes of that meeting. A year later is when Alexei, the heir to the Russian throne, who has hemophilia, uh, because of his mother's side of the family, is very, 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 very sick. And he is the only boy. All of the other uh, children are girls. And Alexandra, the Tsarina, takes all of this on herself because it's from her side of the family that the hemophilia comes through. So she is a very devout woman. She is a very prudish woman. And she is a, now a very guilt-ridden and desperate woman because she and Nicholas were a love match. They were not an arranged marriage. In fact, Queen Victoria did not want Alexandra to marry Nicholas because she thought she'd die in Russia. Spoiler, Queen Victoria knew her shit. Yep. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so Rasputin is put in front of Alexandra again because he is making such a name for himself as this very uh, powerful religious man. He is never orthodox. He is never a priest. 
He is never officially a monk. He is just a wandering holy man in Russia, just to put that in there. He prays over Alexei's bedside. Alexei gets better. Now, that is what opens up the fact that he is continually allowed into the royal palace. People speculate as to why he was able to actually have a very positive effect on this very sick boy. And one of the reasons is because Rasputin didn't trust aspirin. Alexei was a hemophiliac, and the doctors were giving him aspirin. Huh. Which thins the blood. And Rasputin just didn't trust it. Aspirin was super new and was being prescribed by everybody. And so he stopped the doctors from giving it to him. And it is very possible that that alone had a small improvement in the boy. The other factor is Rasputin kept the doctors away from him. So the kid was allowed to sleep and rest and heal and not be poked at and prodded at and stressed out of his mind. So that's another factor. So this guy just comes in and is like, hey, kid, I'm going to pray over you. I got some crazy eyes. And the kid's like, that's great. I'm really tired. And everybody in my family's freaked out. And so that and the aspirin, it's actually believed, had a positive effect on this very young, very sick boy. So that starts Rasputin being very integral to the royal family. So all of that is accurate. Like you said, he had access to the family to help the prince or the heir to Russia. So he settles in. Tsar Nicholas uh, makes him the lamplighter. Rasputin's official job is to keep all the, all the lights in front of religious iconography lit. That's his gig. And for that, you are now basically the the royal family's favored uh, religious holy man. All of this goes on. As I said, Rasputin, not a great man. He, all the salacious rumors are very true. Rasputin loves him some women. He loves to buy women. He is very, very happy with prostitutes. He loves exercising the status and power that he now has over royal women who apparently the rumor is he said he liked to fuck because they smelled better than peasant women. (laughs) Um, So there is very strong evidence that all of the rumors about him and his love of women are completely true. So things start to snowball. I realize I've been talking for hours now already. No, you're doing great. Uh, Things start to snowball in that... As you said, the other nobility is like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Why does this guy have so much authority? He's a freaking peasant. Now, I'm, I'm covering spans of years at this point. Sure. He has his own apartments. His daughters are brought to court so they can be educated by the empress. This is from... Uh, his daughter's book that she wrote about this. And they are raised and educated. His wife does occasionally come to court, but doesn't always stay. And and again, probably not a great husband, but not an abusive one and not a bad dad. <laughs> and given the time, you know, probably not the worst husband anyone could have had. <laughs> so, so women are coming to his apartments in and out, praying for absolution. And Rasputin is more than happy to absolve them six ways to Sunday, any any way that they can. In the meantime, 
the czar's family is most children are mostly girls. Now there is all kinds of written evidence that the children loved this man, not just the prince, but the girls as well. Their letters, things they've written, things they've said, they loved him. And I always double back on that because I'm like, at least one kid, if there was something inappropriate, would have been like, yeah, I don't like him so much. All of these girls were like, this guy is the best and never in a weird, salacious way. However, governess number one is like, I don't think we should let Rasputin in the nursery when the girls are in their nightgowns. <laughs> but the Tsarina's like, again, there's a horrifying picture of Rasputin with all the girls, and he's just in a black cloak. Yeah, looking, that's a fair cop. <laughs> looking terrifying. And the girls are all in their virginal white, and you're like, maybe not after 7 p.m. should he be there? So, so she raises an issue and says, you know, he's always hugging the girls. Interpret whatever that is, because again, it is the written complaint. The Tsarina's like, I like him, get out, and fires the one governess. Another governess later accuses Rasputin of actual rape of her. The Tsarina refuses to believe it, but other members of the nobility are like, haha, smoking gun, let's get this guy. But when they go to talk to this woman who accused Rasputin of rape and who had been very public about he had too much authority over the royal family, they apparently found her in bed with a Cossack soldier out of wedlock. So unfortunately, she is immediately discredited. That is not me talking about how people should be believed in accusations, oh, sure. but at the time, it was enough to just cut that story completely dead. And she also is fired. My only double back is, again, there is no indication from the children that they anything but loved him. And they even, uh, Anastasia wrote a letter saying the governess that accused him of not, shouldn't be in the nursery, the first governess, is like, mm -hmm. I don't want her around. We have to lie about seeing Rasputin because she's so suspicious and we love him. So we don't want her, you know. Oh. And so the, the girls were very adamant. They were like, my dear friend, we love you. So as we said, the nobility doesn't like that this peasant has power. Not over their women, not over the czar, not over anything. Going forward into that, and these are the things that people don't really know, and there's, there's different accounts. Rasputin was assigned a Jewish secretary to help him, because again, his writing was not great, and so this was the person who helped him while he was there. Rasputin was very vocal, according to this secretary who wrote his own book about knowing Rasputin, against the pogroms in Russia which were, if, if anyone has ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, that is many people's introduction to pogroms. And that was Russians having incredibly anti-Semitic views, harming the Jewish people, oppressing the Jewish people, forcing them out of their towns. For, uh, it was a horrific and bloody time, and Rasputin was trying desperately to stop it. So that is factor, another factor that goes into, wait a minute, who's this guy? 
doesn't get brought up much. In fact, it's really only brought up by his secretary who escaped the revolution and was like, he was a good guy and always treated me really nice and tried to stop this. Another thing, Rasputin was not necessarily into. There are things that indicate maybe he tried once or twice. He was not incredibly anti-homosexual. It wasn't his bag, as it were. But he did a lot of pilgrimages to Greece and had met holy men that engaged in that. And it didn't phase him. So the court of Tsar Nicholas was kind of don't ask, don't tell, but wasn't and horrifically anti for the time. All of that to say, again, let's not come out and announce it, but we're not going to drag anybody through the streets. Sure. Also, uh, you have the Russians fighting the Germans in World War I, uh, or all of that ramping up before Rasputin's death, and Rasputin is incredibly anti-war. And so he's like, you need to stop this. This is ridiculous. And again, people are, are starting to be like, who is this fucking guy? And why is anyone... We can't have this. Yeah, we can't have and that. And the last thing, <laughs> which, again, is one something I found on a deep dive that I didn't know existed, Rasputin, in very poor letters, because, again, illiterate for the bulk of his life, found out that food was rotting in warehouses to feed the nobility, to feed the the czar and his family. And in the meantime, the peasants in Russia are fucking starving. And he goes to the czar, who at this point is now fighting the war and very active in the war. So he writes him on the lines and he's like, hey, buddy. Uh, not actually, I'm paraphrasing. Um, he's <laughs> no, like, I really want to envision Rasputin. Hey, hey, buddy. buddy. Uh. <laughs> he's like, hey, um... People in Petrograd are starving. Please, before this food goes bad, feed Petrograd. And the Tsar doesn't respond to him. So Rasputin goes to Alexandra and he's like, Hey, the people are starving. Can you please do something public and go give out loaves of bread to... Please do a... He's basically saying... Do some good PR, because hungry people are dangerous people. Lenin is around the corner. There is a quote that is like, without, Rasputin, uh, without Rasputin's death, there would have been no Lenin. Oh, man. So that is exactly it. And Alexandra's like, again, a notoriously shy woman kind of goes, okay, sure, that sounds like a great idea, and then never does it. And what causes the start of the Russian Revolution after Rasputin is dead is people rioting at a bread shop who are starving. That is, that's the start. Damn. Is starving peasants. But again, this all goes back to the nobility going, who the fuck is this guy? Mm -hmm. He's a peasant. He's fucking our women. He's telling people to change their entire behavior to how we treat the peasants. And then the rumors start about him with Alexandra. So so that is that is my first verbal dump on a whole bunch of stuff about Rasputin. And there's still so much more. Do we know if there actually was a relationship between he and Alexandra that was of a sexual nature? It is 
almost impossible to believe that there was simply because she was such, I'm going to use the word prude, but she, she was very, very devout. And, and yes, I realize he was a holy man. And yes, I realize status and power and everything we've talked about with her gratitude and his charisma. But most historians are like, it is impossible to believe that she, who desperately loved her husband, again, that was a love match, and she is incredibly devout, and it's almost impossible to believe that there was. Um, because if there had been a hint of it, and Nicholas had believed it, he would have been like, get out? Yep. Um, <laughs> and now there is a point when Nicholas does send Rasputin away, and to be fair, that is from pressure from the nobles because Rasputin is an alcoholic at this point. More on, more backing up on that later. And loves going to parties and dancing and getting fucked up and drunk. And Don't then we going, all? yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then being like, I fucked your wife and I fucked your wife and hey, your oh, daughter. Buddy. And, but, and then when people, and then when people are like, you need to stop this. He's like, how dare you say this to me? Uh, I am the Tsarina's special friend, Lear, Groucho Marx, Cigar type of thing. Without ever saying, I've I've done her. But everybody's like, wait, did he just imply that he's banging the, the Tsarina? He didn't not say it. He did not say it. And, you know, so again, people are like, okay, this is a lot going on. Um, and his his actual debauchery was enough that Nicholas was like, you... You gotta go, buddy. <laughs> Sends him back home, but then Alexei, the prince, gets worse again. And Rasputin, for whatever reason, is a calming influence on the boy. And the Tsarina begs to have him brought back, and and he is brought back to court. That's so wild. Yeah. The, God, okay, so we, we've talked like a little bit about the rumors that people have spread about him. Mm-hmm. What would you say, whether it's it was rumors spread at that time or outlandish and popular theories that we have heard today, huh. what would you say are the most interesting of the lot? Uh, well, his his death is its own essay, which is, I think, where the height of the propaganda really kicks in to justify this incredibly brutal murder of a man who probably didn't deserve to die quite that excruciatingly, <laughs> if at all. But we are now in, uh, like, 1915-1916, and the Tsar is away, and he is on the front, and he is not a great military leader. And the Tsarina is terrified for her husband and is leaning on Rasputin very heavily for advice. Spoiler, Rasputin also not a military man, and as we've discussed, possibly insane. Not harmfully so, but definitely... One fry short of a Happy Meal. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely believed that he had seen visions, and so she's leaning on him, and she's like, the Tsar's writing, should he go south or north? And Rasputin's like, no, north? And so the Tsar's like, I'm going north, and then gets his ass handed to him. And, you know, so he's, Rasputin is way in over his head at this point. 
because he's not a military man. So this is when the propaganda really starts coming out. All of the flyers, all of the very pornographic caricatures of Rasputin with all of the girls in the royal family and Alexandra while dad's on the front. And this, all of this salaciousness just starts being spread. And again, there's a good foundation for people to believe this. In the meantime, this is when the Tsarina's nephew and a few other royals go, hey, you know what's a great idea? Let's fucking kill Rasputin. And everybody's like, that is a great idea. Let's <laughs> kill Rasputin. So Prince Felix Yusupov, or Yusupov, anyone who speaks Russian, I apologize. These are names I've read and never said. What a name. Yeah, exactly. Funny story about his name, too. Uh, his mom, it was actually his mom's name, but she was rather his grandmother's name. But it was the last person who would have that name. And so he was given a special dispensation to keep the name because it was a royal name as opposed to taking his dad's name to make oh. sure that the line went on. So huh. anyway. The more you know. Exactly. <laughs> ba, ba, ba. He's also a fascinating person, and I will get to that in a bit. Felix Yusupov decides, I'm going to lure Rasputin to my palace because that's something you can say in Russia. And <laughs> so he brings him. Sorry, I caught you on a bourbon drink. Um, uh, that's almost choked on it. And so brings him to his palace. Rumor is that he lures Rasputin there by saying, hey, you want to have sex with my wife, Irina? And Rasputin's like, yeah. Why wouldn't Holy I? Shit. And so he goes. Now, this goes back to what you said about the poisoning and the stabbing and the drowning and the thing and the whatever. In his memoirs about that are basically titled How I Killed Rasputin on My Winter Vacation. What a title. <laughs> Felix said, Prince Felix says, we lured him to the house. We fed him cakes filled with cyanide. And he did not die. And this is represented in almost every bit of media that happens to involve Rasputin. Um, from Alan Rickman playing him. Also, the amount of people that have played Rasputin. It's the leer oh, of... The of, list is insanity. It, it, it's like the best actors in history have tackled 100%. So, Cakes with Cyanide. Now, first of all, his daughter always said Rasputin was not the glutton that people, again, propagandized him as. He liked like a really plain fish broth. He loved that he got fresh fruit living in, in the palace because you don't get that in Siberia. So, but he was, he was not a glutton. He was he, not in the way that people describe, just in the sex. The cakes, poisoned, doesn't die, according to the apocryphal story. He demands wine. Great, let's give him wine. We'll poison him with cyanide with that. Drinks all the wine. Drinking all the wine? Very possible. Remember, functioning alcoholic. I'll get back to that later. However, probably not poisoned because the autopsy never showed poison anywhere in his body. They shoot him in the side and they shoot him in the back. Both of those, according to the autopsy, would have killed him within 20 minutes. But within 20 minutes, and this is a peasant who's like, fuck you, I'm out of here. Um, and so... He he probably gets up to fight and is shot point blank between the eyes. Now, also, 
when you look at the autopsy, this man was battered within an inch of his life before the shots. And uh, for the too much information graphicness among us, uh, there are rumors that his penis was cut off, untrue, according to the records. Uh, but it was flattened by heavy, heavy weights and whatever. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. So, again, maybe, maybe that guy didn't deserve to die, like, maybe that way. Maybe the bullet yeah. between the eyes, if you really want to... Just, just wanna... pick a way to kill him. Yeah, yeah okay. That, that, that was unnecessary. <laughs> he's thrown in the ocean, uh, he's thrown in the river. People like to say that he drowned, that he was still alive. Not impossible. One rumor has that there was no water in the lungs, uh, but that would indicate that he wasn't alive because he didn't inhale water into the lungs. So he is dead. Yusupov, after the revolution, is like, oh shit, I gotta go. He goes to France. That's when he writes his memoirs and embellishes the poison and poison and poison and poison. And he was a demon sent from hell. And I was a good person. And so that is what people believe as a first-person account. He absolutely helped kill him, but he embellished all of those details to make it seem like Rasputin was an actual demon that had to be put down, as opposed to just a guy taking advantage of a really cushy situation he found himself in. Yeah, because you, I mean, you see him in all sorts of mediums, from film to television to comics mm-hmm. to video games, to straight up being the basis for one of the Sinister Eleven portraits in the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which... I think from what I understand, he his was the only portrait that Disney was like, uh, we can't use that. Uh, can we switch that and, and call it the ogre and say, because apparently he feared being sued. What would you say is your favorite depiction of him? I am going to be incredibly biased because my answer to that question is always going to be Alan Rickman in any form. Sure. Of it. Yeah. Um, it, but to be fair, Alan Rickman plays him very heightened, but very sympathetic. Uh, Like, when you see Rickman's performance, for which he won a Golden Globe, you see someone who who is afraid that he's insane, who's afraid of losing his mind, and, and, and really struggling, which I think is probably close to the truth. He had great power, and he enjoyed it, but... I do think he was terrified of being in over his head and terrified of actually being insane. But then you have Christopher Lee, and if you want to see somebody who looks amazing as Rasputin, it's Christopher effing Lee. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, and so... But then you've got, again, I'm going to list the names. Tom Baker, Christopher Lee, Alan Rickman, uh, Christopher Lloyd voicing him in Anastasia. We've got Reese Ivins doing this in The King's Man to be Oh, yes. Yes, yes, later. yes. And he looks fantastic. Oh, I haven't seen the movie yet, but but the, 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 the trailer. Bit, oh, God. I was like, he looks terrifying. You know, and then, of course, you've got him as the villain in Hellboy. Yes. Um, and then you've got all of these, these wonderful actors who've taken a chunk at him, but all of them have followed the narrative of Felix Yusupov's way that he was killed, including the Rickman one, which is one of the more recent ones. And they didn't go uh, more into that. Is there but again, any, Rickman is always going to be my answer. <laughs> is there any adaptation that has, 
But what would you say which one has been the most accurate to his God, life? Uh, honestly, none of them really, because they all follow the propaganda. Like, there isn't one of them that's like him going, feed the peasants, maybe be a better person, stop the war. Like, none of, none of the things that temper his... I was going to say his grossness, but his <laughs> Han man uh, abilities, anything that modulates where it's like, oh, he did try to use some of this authority for good is always thrown away. And they make him such a boor, which he probably was, that everybody's like, yeah, kill that guy. He is awful. So I would say a definitive one hasn't been done yet. You had talked about the movies, and this is one of my favorite bits of trivia that I have found in this uh, in this rabbit hole of going down Rasputin. So, uh, in 1932, uh, a movie is made called Rasputin and the Empress. And it's, you know, pretty timely, because he died in 1916, so... You know, we're we're not even fifteen years it's later so after the guy's death. It's so bizarre to think how recent this is. Yeah, exactly. So that is released, and in it, Rasputin sleeps with Felix Yusupov's, whose name is used in the film, wife named Natasha. In real life, her name was Irina. And there is no evidence that Rasputin ever slept with Irina, even though being lured there was perhaps part of it. So Yusupov sues the movie company and everybody who made the film and says, that's not true, not because of him murdering a man, but because it says the man slept with his wife. Can't have that. (laughs) He wins that lawsuit gets $25,000, which is a tremendous sum in 1932. Sure. And that is the reason that we have on every film ever, all incidents portrayed in this film are fictionalized, Pearson's living or dead are blah, blah, blah. It is all because of that film. Well, that explains why Disney was so hesitant to use Uh, Rasputin's likeness. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I'm not walking down that path. Yeah, exactly. And Yusupov actually lived for a very long time. I don't know that he would have been alive in the 50s. I truly can't remember. But he lived to be like 90-something. So he might have just been like... Well, the 25K probably helped a decent amount. At that point, yeah. Other things, I mentioned Rasputin's uh, children. Dmitri and Varvana kind of get lost to history after the revolution. But Maria, his daughter, escapes Russia... After her father is dead, but before uh, the revolution, she goes to France. That is where Felix Yusupov goes after he flees the revolution. And she tries, because his book has come out, to sue him in France for wrongful death of her father. She's like, hey, nobody should die the way you described in your book. And I would like some financial recompensation for your murder yeah, of no my shit. dad. <laughs> By the way, it is it is believed that she is the one who had to identify his body. Oh, yeah. And she was a girl, a like a young teenager. Uh... France, and I I get it, and I kind of agree with it, but makes me go, ugh, especially after Felix has won this lawsuit the same year. 
uh, France goes, ooh, sorry, we don't have jurisdiction over the death of political enemies in Russia and throws the case out, which I I get. Yeah, I get but it. But I'm like, maybe. It still sucks. I'm like, <laughs> so she's also fascinating. She ran off, became a cabaret dancer as the daughter of the mad monk and became a lion tamer for the circus. She also lived until 1977, by the way. Was mauled by a bear or a lion. It gets dodgy. That's why she quit the circus. Maria Rasputin. Yeah. What a weird life. Uh Uh-huh. These are things that I'm like, why does no one talk about this? I'm trying to imagine how she would go into an interview with a resume like that. (laughs) Like, holy shit. And what's your name? Maria Rasputin. Wait, like the, yes, exactly like the guy. (laughs) <laughs> and and what do you want to do? I want to tame lions. Well, sh- oh, sure. Great. Well, and that's the thing is she didn't really want to, but she escaped Russia. Her lawsuit failed. She had no money and people were like, wait, you're the son of that crazy guy that fucked a lot of women who want to take your clothes off for money? And she's like, yeah, I guess I do because I like food. And then goes to the goes to the circus transitions through. That way, and is always Damn. and is always billed as Maria Rasputin, the daughter of the Mad Monk. Ugh, <laughs> that just got really depressing. Holy shit! Right? I'm amazed nobody's done a, a story on a, a movie on her. Yeah, I mean that that seems like I can I'm just imagining that shadow following you for the rest of your life. Like, uh-huh. ugh, and it's the only thing she can use. To make money yeah, it, in this transitional period. She has to ride on this false identity that surrounds her father in order to uh-huh. make a live. Oh, God, that's... Whose body she identified in her teens. Oh, God. After an entire Russian nobility massacred the guy. Yo, I, yeah, I, I, I smell a musical. Can somebody get on that, Pascal Paul? If you're listening, <laughs> this is totally for you <laughs> it's, yeah it's got a I, where where is sondheim why has yeah, he right? not done a rasputin where has that been steven with all of rasputin's accomplishments with everything that he did <laughs> it's curious to see so uh, someone that was a peasant get to that level of nobility what do you think he really desired what was rasputin's end game here if there was one it it's really it sort of swings in a in a pendulum. I don't think he was power hungry. I don't think he wanted to rule a country. I think he was really happy being third guy from the left with a great apartment and a steady influx of women and and also in luxury. Like I said, he didn't he didn't necessarily love all of the trappings. But, you know, you're safe and you're warm and you grew up in Siberia, for Christ's sake. I'm sure you're like, this bed feels nice. I, I think those are the golden years where he's like, maybe I can do some good. Maybe I can feed some people, but not draw too much attention to myself. But, oh, those hookers. You know, so... Um, <laughs> those little gems. Yeah, those gems. So, I mean, he's... Uh, in 1911, apparently, and this is not something I've been able to find too much validation on but i've seen it in a few sources the czar actually pays for him to go to jerusalem on a on a holy retreat as part of his you go away and think about what you've done (laughs) after his after his uh maybe i've banged the czarina and going to time out (laughs) 
<laughs> You're going into timeout, Raspy. Um, so by a couple of different accounts, and it's not well documented at all, um, he goes to Jerusalem and apparently has a, a complete realization of how how debauched he is and how much he has sinned and and comes back kind of repentant about it and apparently writes a book that nobody can find because of course it would have all copies would have been burned or destroyed that apparently isn't real good but the czar's like eh, i'll publish it and it's basically his day-to-day of him being like i'm in the holy land and i stood where the holy mother was and i passed out because i was where you know so again he really had this pendulum between seeming to be a very devout man with very physical desires and and those two seemed to operate very comfortably they the people talk about that he was part of a a sect that believed in orgies because uh, a, a quote that's given to him is in order to be forgiven first you must sin but that's really probably not something that he said but again, the propaganda machine is like, he's in this sect, and everybody has sex, and they whip themselves, and then they fall to the floor in exhaustion and claim that's how they see God. Or maybe he was, but there's no proof of it. Right. There's so little proof of anything where he's concerned except the propaganda. That's all that really remains. H- History is written by the victors. I'll say. But and what's fascinating is Yusupov had no idea... Just how enduring this legend would be, Honest where people have have made it made him out to be a sorcerer. Uh-huh. Like I, I knew a guy a couple of years ago when I was bartending. He was he was organizing this D and D campaign mm-hmm. and made their main big bad evil guy Rasputin, who was like a, this time traveling sorcerer who was like grabbing artifacts from different points in time, and, and it was just like y- you think about how simple this person was. And mm-hmm. just how grand he's go- he's become because this one guy set out to demonize him. Uh-huh. And he is in Pathfinder right now. There is a tremendous Rasputin module where Rasputin is the big bad. And all the, the characters are transported to Russia to fight Rasputin. And my understanding is one of the main premises of the Pathfinder is Rasputin had sex with the Tsarina, and Anastasia is his kid. Which, by the way, timeline-wise, could never have happened. Of course. All of the children were born by the time they first met. But again, he's an easy... People hear the name and they immediately go, he was that crazy guy with devil powers, right? Oh, yeah. He's he's up there with, like, Crowley and with... uh... Yes, exactly. (laughs) So... And the last thing I'll mention uh, that, uh, that I wanted to is I mentioned that he was a functioning alcoholic. The reason he was a functioning alcoholic is because in 1914, three years before he's butchered, a woman comes out of a crowd with a two-foot dagger, which to me is a sword at that point, and stabs him in the gut. He should have died, but he didn't. But he was in excruciating pain during the time that it was healing and after. And so he drank wine to dull the pain and ended up being an alcoholic because of it. He always loved wine, but it is this stabbing that, that 
causes him to be like, I need to be drunk all the damn time. I hurt so hard. Jesus Christ. But that incident also leads to Rasputin being rumored to be unkillable. And is one of the things that Yusupov built on. Oddly enough, Rasputin apparently did a lot of temperance talks warning Russians on the uh, on the danger of vodka. But he was like, <laughs> "Yeah, no, don't like, do as I said, not not as I just bring me the wine, as please." I do. <laughs> yeah, but again, water wasn't always safe to drink then. No, so people drank wine like it was water. He didn't know he was an alcoholic. You gotta stay hydrated one way or another. <laughs> exactly, glug glug glug. Oh, final thoughts. What does Rasputin mean to you personally? Out of everybody you could have chosen, why him? I think it is the fascination, and I sort of have this with Ava Perone as well, who again, not a great person, but there is something about people who shouldn't get where they are and did. It's like you said, this is an illiterate peasant with no formal religious training, who finds his way because he's charismatic to the highest, to to the Tsar and Tsarina of Russia, um, one of the most gilded ages of, of all times, and and isn't just given, you know, a buck fifty and sent on his way with a hot meal, finds his way into their lives and is loved when they were killed. Every single one of the women in the royal family shot in that basement had a tiny picture of Rasputin on their body. They all still considered him their friend, their conduit to God. They lost their mind when he was murdered. You know, and this is someone who, again, was there's no question he was manipulative. There is no question that he took advantage of a situation that was presented to him. But his actual harmfulness, other than the incidents that that probably were true of him being very predatory, though maybe not to children. Sure. But other than that, this is just a guy who's like, holy crap. My dad made some wings and I am going to fly to the sun. You know, it's it's amazing to me what he accomplished. And he was murdered at 47. He's not like a 70-year-old man who's like, yeah, I fooled them all. He's not an old man when he dies. I mean, I'm 52, so it's, <laughs> it's not old to me. I mean, let's, um, but, let's be real. His Every portrait makes him look like at least 20 years older than he actually was. He was Siberian! Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, that's what the cold did. does to you after a while. Look what happened to Obi-Wan Kenobi in Absolutely. his 20 years on Tatooine. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, poor Alec Guinness. But, uh, but that's the thing, is I'm like, this is not a man who should be known in history. Good, bad, or indifferent. He should have lived and died in a tiny town in Siberia with his wife and his seven children, four of whom died in in early childhood. That's the story you expect. But he was charismatic enough that he just kept advancing. He just advanced too far and didn't really seem to have a good censor. And I find people who can accomplish that fascinating. Doesn't mean they're good, but it does make them something. You know? It's yeah. just amazing to me. And with him, it's all charisma. 
He was six four. Apparently, had a huge dick, and the, <laughs> the original, the original big dick energy. Was that a rumor? Or was was that was that um, actually? It, it is. It is both rumor, but all of the stories tend to coincide. His daughter in her book, and I try not to think too hard about why she would know, except that, you know, (laughs) again, Siberian peasant, you probably bathed in the same bathtub. I don't know. Um, But she was like, no, it was 13 inches, and the women loved it. Yeah. God. (laughs) And, uh... And there was there's an entire kind of cult that built around it after he died. Uh, the stories are that he had a wart in a particular place that when he had sex with the women, they would pass out from the ecstasy. It was rumored that it was cut off and and stolen out of Russia to become a an icon. Uh, but that was oh, proved. But the, that was proven to be a sea cucumber that was put on display. <laughs> it's like hidden in Odin's vault. Yeah, exactly. Somewhere. Yes, yes. <laughs> but so that. Apparently seems to be true. He was six four, so yeah. yeah. Um, but um, yeah, the original big dick energy is Gregory Rasputin. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so there there's a lot of these rumors are true. They all have a foundation, but then they were very much perverted by the people who wanted him out of the way. This has been such a great <laughs> dear everyone, conversation. Dear everyone who heard me not stop talking for so very long, I apologize. No, no, straight up. This is exactly what I was expecting with this, which is why I was like, we're going to skip the pleasantries in the beginning because we have a lot to get through. And I am so happy you delivered on that. because uh, I mean, I again, I told you in the beginning what I mm-hmm. knew about Rasputin. And... Yeah, it's 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 always fascinating to me to learn this level of detail about someone because you just you just don't know and and, and I again I've said before that the villains that I find the most fascinating are the ones that are also the most sympathetic. Mm-hmm. But even then, this one he's not even a villain. He's just somebody that was turned into one out of a sheer need uh-huh. to get rid of him in the first place. He is an incredibly flawed human being who, as I said, is probably a con man, does probably have a mental illness, and is of varying degrees of predator. And so it's very easy to vilify him. Absolutely. You know, he's he's probably not a, a great human, but he wasn't, again, except for the predatory angle, he wasn't a monster. Right. Um, that governess would probably disagree with me and I respect her opinion. Uh, but, but the, there's, he's just fascinating. And like I said, the more you read from people who knew him, the more you start looking at the pictures, the more honest to God, the rabbit hole of learning all about the Romanovs, the rabbit hole of finding out how much the kids loved him, finding out about his daughter. It's just, again, the lawsuit what? Why does Rasputin's murder have the ramification of something we see on every movie since 1932 because of his murder? Just the web continues it, with him. You just and... keep spiraling. One of the guys who helped murder him became a lover of Coco Chanel for many years. Of course. Of course because they why not? Why, because why not? Exactly. <laughs> and those, these are the things that you're just like, wait, 
what? And then it just goes and goes and goes. And it's all the murder of this one or assassination of one man. Thank you for being on this show. I, I mean, I say it every week with all my guests. God, this has been so good. And I, I, I honestly feel so much more enriched now from this that I've learned way more about Rasputin than I ever thought I would. But to be honest, when I knew I was having you on here, I'm like, oh, we're going to get a whole TED talk oh, about God, Rasputin so right sorry. now. And I am <laughs> I so – no, 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 no. I am so happy about that. Do not apologize in the least because this is exactly what I wanted. Um, and I'm sure our listeners are also just as enthralled by this. So thank you for coming just, on the show. Just y'all enter Rasputin into your into your search engine. And just start clicking on stuff. And then it goes and it goes. And if you just start at Wikipedia even, and then start Googling on the names and the hyperlinks, it just goes. You know. Oh, my poor search history. Oh, I know. The, the, <laughs> the theories that the British were involved and wanted him dead. And they're the ones who murdered him, which probably didn't happen, but maybe happened. It's, it, it, it goes on forever, forever. This poor man and his flattened penis dumped into a river. The end. I. <laughs> yep. That's that's got to be the worst way to don't, go. But don't, yeah, don't Ma- fuck Megan, a nobleman's wife. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. That, if, if there if there is a that's um, the if there away. is a, a, an end to this Aesop fable, it's that right yeah. there. Megan, thank you. You're welcome. So much. I'm delighted. Uh, I'm gonna leave a link for the American Civil Liberties Union in the description below. There's a lot writing on this next election, mm-hmm. and the ACLU is an organization that has filed over 160 legal actions to safeguard voting rights, uh, release people from prisons, jails, and immigration detention, uh, to protect access to abortion, and so much more. So if you feel any sort of inclination, please donate. Thank you to Ross Lampert for composing the theme song to this podcast. He's a brilliant guy, and if you're in the market for any sort of music production needs, head on over to his website at daggerandink.com. And thank you, listener, for carving out a little bit of time for us today. If you like this show, please consider following us on Facebook and Instagram at Villainology Podcast. Uh, Give us a review if you like what we've got going on and drop us a comment on who you would like to see discussed next. And hopefully we'll see you next time. Stay foolish, mortals. (laughs) Ha 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 